We turn to the scriptures now. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 12. Let's pray first. Father, we ask, we seek, and we knock that you would open your word to us today. Give my wisdom words to speak from your Holy Spirit as he to us. In his name we pray. Amen. It's page 788 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything you do, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophet, the word of the Lord. Sylvia has copies of this manuscript, which is more or less correct this morning, so if you'd like to get one, please catch her attention as she passes up and down the aisles near you. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount the last few weeks, trying to see, at least it's what I've been trying to do, trying to see how all the sayings of Jesus fit together. There's a structure to the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just like a pile of sticks laid end to end or, or piled up on one another, but it's actually built up into something. I have a bunch of little objects my kids made out of popsicle sticks at various times. There's, there's that the raw materials are, are formed into an order, and the sayings of Jesus are formed into an order here in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been talking about formation in a different way over the last two weeks. We've, we talked about forming good desire in our hearts two weeks ago, and we talked about forming good character last week, and now I want to talk about enacting good desire, actually getting the things that you want, satisfying the good desires that have been formed in us. Let me back up just a bit, though. The formation part forming good desire and forming good character is really about God capturing our imagination or about us learning to surrender our imagination to God. Desire is always fueled by imagination. We imagine or we become aware of, sometimes we become obsessed with something we don't have and we want it. And we're pretty good at that all by ourselves without any help. We're, we're good at dreaming of something more, something better, something different. We see other people, and we see what they have, we inevitably compare, 
and we want something just as good or why not something better. That's how imagination fuels and shapes our desire. Imagining what we do not yet have, that yet is the word we usually put in there, right? Because that that directs our desire toward an object. That can make us yearn for things that we do not yet possess. And there wouldn't be any spiritual growth without that kind of imagination. Imagining the kinds of qualities you could have and yearning for them, for example. But imagining what we do not yet have can also make us yearn for things that aren't good for us. Imagining what we do not have can make us greedy or jealous, or fearful, or anxious, or suspicious. And I'd say that kind of imagination, that misuse of imagination, fueled Adam and Eve's desire in the Garden of Eden with pretty disastrous results, and we've been following in their footsteps ever since as we live out the desires of our hearts as we live as desiring beings. So we really need to make sure that our imagination and our desire are always set on good things. In Matthew 6, which we studied two weeks ago, Jesus tells us that we should direct our imagination and our desiring towards getting treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth. He wants to form our imagination and our desire by directing them towards the right object, towards God, towards God's kingdom, towards God's righteousness. That's where our hearts should be, and that's what formation is all about. But imagination alone does not get us the object of our desire. No one gets rich by just imagining what it might be like to be rich. No one gains treasure in heaven by just wondering what it might be like to have treasure in heaven or by wishing they could have it. You get rich by doing things that make money. And you store up, you acquire and store treasure in heaven by doing the things that it takes to gain that kind of spiritual richness. In other words, it's not enough to employ your imagination You also have to engage your will. You have to act. You have to do something. And that's what I mean when I talk about moving beyond forming good desire into enacting good desire. We need to put our good desires into action. We need to exercise our will as well as our imagination. And if you look at our passage this morning, you can see pretty quickly that enactment of this kind is exactly what Jesus has in mind. He begins with three very active verbs. They're commands, imperatives in the Greek language. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This is certainly about God satisfying our desires. But Jesus is very clear that God does this when we make the effort to pursue what we desire. Take the action we need to get what we want. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about enacting desire. Last week, 
Some of you are going to love this. Some of you are going to hate this. But last week I gave you a grammar lesson about Greek commands, the different ways you can express a command in Greek. And I basically talked about two different kinds. Maybe you remember commands in the Aorist tense imply a simple or single action. Commands in the present tense imply ongoing or habitual action. And negative commands, it's the difference between don't do that, aorist, and stop doing that, present, and implies an ongoing action. But it's the same difference with positive commands. It's the difference between do that and keep doing that. So which kind of commands do you think we have here in Matthew 7, verse 7? Ask, search, knock. Is Jesus suggesting that all you have to do is give a little knock and it will be open to you? Or is he suggesting something more like that if you keep knocking, it will be open to you? It's the second one. Ask tenaciously. And it will be given to you. Search diligently and you will find. Knock persistently and the door will be opened to you. I know I'm embellishing a little bit, but I think it's a good point that I'm making. I do need to be careful about one thing, though, when I say this. It isn't really about how insistently we ask or how hard we search or how loud we knock. We're not talking about works righteousness or anything like that. Jesus isn't really talking so much about the quality of our effort here. He's talking about the quality of our faith, the quality of our trust in God, the the accuracy of our understanding of God's character, who is the source of our hope. Jesus isn't saying you have to keep clamoring until God finally hears and answers your prayer. The point is, You need to trust that God will hear you. And therefore, you shouldn't give up asking and searching and knocking. And who do you think has a more robust faith? The person who knocks once and goes away when there's no immediate answer? Or the person who keeps knocking until the door is open because they know that God's going to open that door if it's the right door? So this passage isn't saying that we need to take action in order to spur God into action, to to rouse God out of some kind of divine slumber. Jesus means that we need to understand God's desire and God's character, and that should spur us into the action of pursuing our desires. We know that God will give us what we need, and that's why we exercise our will in the form of asking searching, knocking. We know from our own experience that no parent in this world will give their children a stone when they ask for bread or a snake when they ask for fish. So if sinful human parents know how to to, to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask, to those who persist in asking, and more to the point, who persist and trusting him and looking to him as the source of what they need and, and the object of their desire. So I don't want to make it sound too simple or too easy. This isn't easy. Jesus was well aware 
that this teaching was hard. I think that's one of the reasons it takes up so much space. It takes up, the things we're talking about take up roughly the second half of the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the most important teachings Jesus ever gave. Jesus knows that trusting God can be hard. And even if he seems frustrated with his disciples sometimes, he's also patient with them. He worked with them for years. Jesus knows that trusting God is hard from his own experience. There are two words in this passage, side by side, that kind of jumped out at me because they've been side, be, side by side just a little earlier in this gospel. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe not. Let me read something again from our passage this morning. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give your child a stone? Bread and stones. Does that ring a bell? Maybe you remember a dialogue about stones and bread, record, uh, stones and bread recorded in Matthew 4 when Jesus was in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus hears the devil saying to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. What's going on in Jesus' heart in that moment? Where was his desire? Was he hungry? You know he was. The Gospels tell us that. But for Jesus, there was something more important than eating. Even though at that moment, Jesus was probably hungrier than any human being has ever been before or since. But the issue wasn't whether he would starve or not. The issue was whether he would trust God or not. Whether he would persist in what he set out to do, what God asked of him. And what sustained Jesus in that moment? It was his faith in his father. His firm belief that God wasn't going to let him die in the wilderness before he did what he came to do into the world. His firm belief that God would not give him stones when he asked for bread. And that's how it was for Jesus in moments that were even harder than that. If you can imagine a harder moment than fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. But that's how it was on the cross Jesus believed that even if he gave up his life on the cross, his father would not leave him in the grave. The essential thing in that moment, in every moment, is to trust God, even when our desires are not for the moment being satisfied. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us, among other things. Now, I don't want to make this passage sound too easy, but I also don't want to make it sound too hard, too dark, impossible in a way that it's not meant to be hard. This passage is meant to be encouraging. This teaching of Jesus is meant to be reassuring. It's meant to convince us that our Father in heaven will always meet our needs. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. God will satisfy our desires. But let me nuance that a bit. Of course, that assumes that our desires will be good. It assumes that we are, in fact, asking for bread and not a stone. It assumes that we are not asking for a snake when we need a piece of fish. Sometimes we search for snakes. Sometimes we beg God for stones that would break our teeth if we bit into them. Sometimes our desires are not aligned with God's will. The enactment of good desire 
depends on the prior formation of good desire. And that's why I want to connect the formation and the enactment. That's why Jesus connects formation and enactment. This all assumes that we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. So what is it that you want? That's a question Jesus once asked very bluntly to a person who came up to him, looking for him. What is it that you want? What do you want me to do for you? And I've often thought, what would I answer if Jesus asked me that question? Jesus always invites us to think about that. Do you want good things? But on the day-to-day scale, what do you want? Then ask God for those things. Do you need a nice home and do you need it for the right reasons? Then ask God. Do you want a certain degree from the university? Do you want a certain job when you finish? Do you want a car, a visa to go work in a certain country? Do you want a partner? Do you want a child? Then ask God. And listen, I know that God doesn't answer every little prayer. I've prayed a lot of prayers myself that haven't been answered. God is a father, not a waiter, not a customer satisfaction representative. Sometimes God knows what we need better than we do. Forming and enacting our desires ultimately means conforming our desires to God's desires and submitting our wills to God's will. This is perhaps the most essential part of trusting God and being the person God created us to be. Our desires can only be good when they conform to God's desires, and our character can only be good when it conforms to God's character. So I think that's the essential teaching of this passage this morning. I think there may be one more big question to deal with in this passage, though. How does that last verse fit? In our translation, it says, In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Does that really connect to what we were talking about, or is that just another popsicle stick piled up on the picnic table at summer camp? Well, it really does connect, and there's no question about that. There's a word that somehow got lost in our translation, and it's the word therefore. It says literally, in everything, therefore, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. The word therefore in a sentence always connects it to whatever comes before it. Therefore always gives the conclusion to what the speaker has been talking about. Therefore leads to the punchline. So how does in everything therefore do to others as you would have them do to you serve as the punchline for these things we've been talking about this morning? Well, let me try this out on you, and I've never heard this interpretation before, so maybe I'm wrong, but I have given it some thought. What if it means something like this? Jesus says to his disciples, look, once you're clear about the kinds of things you really ought to want and ask for, go ahead and ask. Once you know what you should be searching for, search. Once you know where you want to get into, then knock. God knows what you need, and God will certainly give you the things that you desire. And once you have that down, once you have what you want, 
than when someone comes to you asking, searching, knocking. Then give them what they need. Show them what they're looking for. Open the door to them. Our Father delights in showing generosity to us and in satisfying our good desires. So we should be like our Father. That's how the law and the prophets are fulfilled. We sometimes call this the golden rule, but this is the golden rule in all its fullness. It's not just a thing that's meant to, live, to limit evil, which is how I tend to think of that do to others as you would have them do to you. Hey, don't hurt other people because you don't want them to hurt you. But this saying in this place is meant to inspire our imagination and empower our will in a much more positive and imaginative and, and enacted way. Like, hey, you, you like it when other people take care of you. Why don't you take care of other people? God takes care of you. God meets your needs. God satisfies the desires of your soul. Perhaps precisely so that you will be in a position to take care of others, to meet their needs, to satisfy their desires. To me, one of God's greatest miracle is that the one who gives us everything can make us somehow able to give something back to others and back to him even. Somehow the one who's the source of every blessing enables us to be people who bless. I mean, don't you think that's what God actually wants from us and for us? That we should become like him, that we should act like him? So that's this passage, I think. Jesus assures us that God desires to satisfy our desires. But for God, satisfying our desires might not be an end in itself. It might be the means to another, higher, better end. Use your imagination. That's how I think God's imagination works. That's the kind of thing that God asks for, that God seeks, that God wants when he comes knocking on the doors of our hearts and rattling the gates of our lives, that we should delight to show mercy in every way we can because God delights to show mercy to us. In another passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you only love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Be per Your Father in heaven makes the sun shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. Be perfect Therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we have only ever imperfectly desired, both in the way our hearts are shaped and in the way we exercise our wills. We still fall short, but we pray that you will inspire our imagination so that we will grow in Christ, and we pray that you will strengthen our will so that growth will be expressed in action, so that we will not just be hearers of your word, but doers, 
so that we will not just be people who talk about being like you, but so that we will be people who bear a strong family resemblance to you because of the time we have spent with our elder brother, Jesus. We pray all these things with thankful hearts for everything he has done, everything he has taught, and everything he has promised. Amen.